Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. The passages, or the passage that we're looking at this morning is from uh, verse 19 to uh, verse 30. And this whole chapter is all connected together in a basic theme. And that theme is found in verse 3 and 4. So it starts off with a theme and then explains the theme and ends in this particular chapter and, uh, and moves a little bit into chapter 3. But what we have here at the end of this particular chapter, beginning in verse 19, are two examples, two examples of men who basically made the decision to follow the theme of this chapter. In other words, the things that have been presented in this chapter, Paul is really more or less ending with two practical examples in the lives of two men who have taken what has been said in this chapter and put it into their lives. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Okay, so let's look at the theme. And the theme is verse 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Then from 5 through 11, we have the supreme example of this, of course, in Jesus, and what all that meant in the life of Jesus. He is the one who basically put others before himself in all areas and what that meant as being God, and then comes down to us uh, not grasping that title, not grasping all of that, but because of his love and his desire to bring us back to himself, he comes to us and releases all sorts of things within his grasp so they can come to us because of his love for us. And he becomes a bondservant, and that's the description that's given to us of him, and he is a bondservant according to the will of God in relationship to this plan that God has for the use of his life. And we've, of course, gone through all of that and explained that and looked at that intensely as to what that means. And, of course, at the end, we find that when the second coming occurs at the end of this chapter, every knee will bow and all will glorify all that Christ did in relationship to example. Then Paul tells us in verse 12 that we are to become like that, that he is the supreme example in relationship to that, and that we have a power now within us to allow us to become like that, to work out this within our lives, a power that's from God himself, that's inside of us to, to will and to do this inside of us. And essentially that is what you find in this particular passage. You are not to be men who grumble or dispute with God, but you're to give your life in a way to God that you become a light to the people that are around you. And thus, you bring honor to God at the end of your life as well, and at the second coming. And so this is essentially the theme that you've seen so far. But what we now have in verse 19 is an example of two men who have practically worked this out. If you look at this, it's been somewhat abstract. In other words, Jesus is something that we can look at and understand and see his life as we, as we work through those passages. 
But of course, to him, he's a perfection of this. And a lot of times that's kind of discouraging because in a lot of ways we can't seem to reach to that perfection. And uh, he is the supreme as to what we are to do. The next part of the passage explains to us some of the practical principles of putting this into, uh, you know, into practice. Don't dispute and, and grumble, but also allow your heart uh, you know, to be used by God and to work out these things and allow him to become a part of you. But then you go, well, are there men who really get this done? Are there men who really have seen this occur in their lives? Or is this just an abstract idea that really is very, very difficult to do in terms of who we are and what we are? And so Paul ends basically with two men who basically have done that. Timothy is one, and then Ephroditus Ephroditus is the other one. Okay. So these two men are given examples of that. And as we look at them, we will be able to see uh, a kind of practical working out of the theme, which is uh, essentially in your own humility, and the humility of your own mind, let God use you in such a way that it'll minister to other people, and that your lives are not to be centered in all that you have that is interesting to you, and everything that's a part of the uh, of the things that are a part of your life, but you are to move towards other people's lives. Okay? So that's essentially what we see there. Now, uh, the, the question that comes to me when I look at this is, uh, you know, I look at all of you, and I know a lot of you very, very closely in terms of what's going on in your lives and see what's there in relationship to that. And I know that I could raise up, you know, 10 or 15 of you here as an example, like Timothy. And that is an enormously, that's an enormous encouragement to me. As I look around and see God working in people's lives, that they are doing this very thing. But again, I know that that's God. God's doing that in my life as well. But at the same time, there is a real call to make sure that we don't miss. Okay, don't miss this particular principle of a concern for another person. To where we're so wrapped up within ourselves and the problems that we have the grumblings and the disputings that we have with God, okay, the struggles that we have within our own lives where we have a tendency to grumble. Okay? And what, what that really is demonstrating is a real center upon the problem that you've got. And if I started going down this road right this minute, and in fact I know so many of you personally, I could go, yeah, I know your problem, I know your problem, I know your problem, I know your problem, I know your problem. I know your problem, I know your problem, you know. As you go down through the road, there is an enormous amount of problems there in terms of what's going on in your own personal life. And as you move along in life, I'm not so sure if the problems get more intensive in relationship to health and all sorts of things that are revolving around you. And uh, things that are uh, cause you basically to come back to a center of yourself, okay, and having to deal with, you know, that particular problem. And I'm not saying that there are times where, in reality, uh, that's all the energy you've got, is really to fight your way to the war to submit just to the problem, okay, in relationship to what's going on. In other words, trying to find a good attitude, 
within your own soul about how to walk through something that's very difficult. But we have a real tendency, I think, to just start focusing back into ourselves okay, in relationship to what our lives are. And I remember uh, Rock uh, Bottomley, you know, our former pastor, uh, one of the things that he had consistent emphasis upon in relationship to us as a congregation praying for him okay, was that as his life progressed, that he would finish well. That he would finish well. Because that, as you get older, uh, there's, a, there's a tendency to slack or to become apathetic or only center on what it is that you have to do. And your energy level is pretty much kind of dissipating. And, and you kind of go, oh, hum, you know, I, you know, I got to just handle this. And that's all I got to handle. You know, I can't handle anything else. I don't want to handle anything else. And so essentially there's a lot, I think, that is in, in interplay within the minds and the hearts of us in relationship to that. A phone call comes in and somebody tells us of a problem. And a lot of times we can almost hardly... You know, relate, you know, it's not that we can't relate to it, but we're so swamped with who we are and what's going on that in reality you can hardly move towards another person. Okay? And that's, that's a problem, I think. And so each one of us, I know, have got these problems and the things that are a part of our lives. And, and as life moves along, they get more intense in relationship to these particular situations. But, here you have Paul who knows that he's just about to die. And there's a, and if, you, if you read this letter, you have a, a sense of an intensity of emotion within him about what's going on in, in terms of, uh, of that particular problem. He's not sure about all the workings out of how that's going to affect all these particular things that he's concerned about. And what you see within his heart, though, is a consistent movement from away from himself towards other people. Okay? And he basically calls this a kindred spirit. A kindred spirit. So he looks around the men who have been a part of his life, and he basically says inside of his heart, I don't know if there's very many people that are like me. Okay? in relationship to what's going on inside of their hearts. In fact, he says in verse uh, 20, I have no one else who has this kindred, kindred spirit and this genuine concern for another's welfare. For all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Now, that's, that's a pretty dramatic statement. Paul's in the, in the church of Rome, and he's trying to look all around him. And we, we actually found this in verse chapter 1, where he was saying there were all sorts of infightings and all things that are going on. And we saw that one of the things that s surrounded Paul was not a real understanding of what really truly was at work in the lives of a person in terms of God using that person for another person's life. And he says, there are not very many people that seem to have this very clearly set in their mind, where the goal of their life is really essentially other people. Okay? Uh, Stuart Briscoe 
in writing on this chapter, basically made this statement. A concern for another person, an involvement in another person's life, an investment of time and energy in another person's life, is the measure of the depth of a person's service to Jesus Christ. Okay? Your concern, your investment of time and energy, your desire to help, your genuine emotion in that direction, not just emotion and talk, but energy invested in terms of time and effort and the life of another person, is the measure, is the measure, is the standard. In other words, it's how you can tell if it's really working or not. Okay? In relationship to the depth of your service for Jesus. Now that's his summary of this particular passage. As he looked at these two men, and he said, now these two men are doing that. Okay? And the question is, are you, you, you know, we who are people who are called to the same thing, are we doing the same? Okay? Now, I've done this before. We did this at the end of Romans, when we were studying the letter of Romans, uh, where Paul makes a huge list of people that he had invested his life into. And if we, we traced that list, we looked at the different people on this list, and you found that this list went back to the very beginning of his ministry, up to the very present time of his ministry. So we just have a whole long list of people that he consistently and continually was concerned about and still investing in their lives. Okay? So what I would like for you to do in your own mind, and maybe the day or, you know, sometime, uh, even if you could take within the next two or three minutes as we we're talking here, you could list five people, okay, where God has called you essentially to invest your life into them, okay? Now, this could be a family member because I think that's where it always starts. I think it has to do with your children. It has to do with your mom, your dad, it has to do with the different people that are around you that are very close. And sometimes that circle is all that you can draw because it's so intense. Okay, at times it can be extremely intense. Like, hey, her whole investment right now is really in that area. And Jack. Okay, so in a lot of ways that circle becomes the intensity of what's going on. But a lot of times that circle, you know, moves beyond that. And I believe that that's from your past as well as your present. In other words, I believe that these things that God has given to you over the years, unfortunately, we drop. Okay? One of the things that you see here in this particular list, and we're going to look at the list in just a minute, the, the key characteristic, the key characteristic of a person who is interested in another person's life, driven by the love of God within him for that other person, Okay. The key characteristic is a word called genuine concern. Genuine concern. Okay. It's not, not a flippant concern or a passing concern. Okay. Or a, you know, just a kind of, you know, oh, you know, kind of concern. 
you know, but it's a genuine concern in relationship to the life of another person. Okay? And what that means is, is that you can see action that, that, that goes along with just a feeling. Okay, a feeling that's a part of what's going on, but there's there's an action that's that basically is along with this genuine concern, and we're going to look at that in just a minute. But if you can think of the people that God has brought into your lives over the past, friends, people that you have witnessed to, people that you have invested your life in in terms of the gospel, uh, the relatives. God has called you to ministries, different people in terms of long-term ministry, all sorts of different things. Okay, how how are you doing there in terms of your genuine concern and a kindred spirit with the life of Paul and Christ? Are you really tired? <laughs> are you backing off? Have you lost any spark in this area? There are only two things that last in this earth that are going on, and that are men, mankind, people, and the Word of God. And unfortunately, we find ourselves not invested very heavily in these particular things. And so essentially, that is the question that's being raised here. Here are two men, and Paul is kind of running his finger down the road, and he goes, no, 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 no. Oh, there's one. That's pretty bad to where you can run your finger down the road and you can't find very many. Okay? And so that that's the question. In your own heart, you cannot come to a passage like this and just kind of go whipping through a passage. You have always got to bring your heart to a passage. You've always got to bring it before the Lord and find what the passage God himself is trying to exhort you in or encourage you in. Those are the two basic concepts. When you're a preacher, when you're in seminary, they're told you always look for exhortation and encouragement. And that's really what these passages are about. And so essentially... You have to bring. You, you can read this, and it's kind of all like almost newsy, you know. In other words, you're just talking about news about these guys, and God, Paul's going to send this guy there, and he's going to send this guy here, and whatever. But if you really look at the passage, that's what this passage is about. It's about men who have kindred spirit, and the kindred spirit is genuine concern, and that goes directly back to verse four, three, and four, and the example that Jesus has given is a light. Okay. Now, verse 29. Therefore receive Ephroditus and the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard. Okay. In verse 15, it talks about men who are blameless and innocent in these kinds of attitudes. In other words, these men you cannot pull up and say, now that guy doesn't have this kind of attitude. He's not a grumbler. He's not a disputer. He is a man who has genuine concern. He is a kindred spirit according to Christ. You can hold him up and he is a man like a light. And then he says in verse 29, hold this man up as a high regard because he deserves a high regard because he's following what God is asking to be and do. In Daniel chapter 12, 
beautiful verse that describes the end of mankind. Verse 2 and 3. And many of those who slept in the dust on the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. And those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. The question is, is are we going to end well? Or are we going to be so tired that we kind of quit? Okay? Or are we going to be a person that Paul can run his finger down the road and says, yeah, you're one, you're one. You're the one who has a kindred spirit. I'm about to have my head cut off. I consider myself a person who has that. I have finished well. He's going to tell us that. He has run the race well. Then he wants to know, is there anybody going to be at this stage of their life to where they can say, I've run the race well? Okay? And that's the challenge in relationship to what God has called you to. Now, there are many in this room that know exactly what God has called you to. And what I mean is, is over the years, God has implanted in your heart men and people, women, okay? And he's also implanted in your heart disciplines in relationship to concern and love and the pouring out of your life like a drink offering on their life, as he described. Okay? Where you pour your life out as a drink offering on the life of another person, okay, to the glory of God. Now, there, there are many, many times in your life to where you can see that have, that's happened, and God has called you to certain things. The problem is, has it, has it diminished? Has it diminished? I mean, Jack, how long have, I'm not, I'm just sending you that, Jack. Jack, how long have you been an usher? Okay. How long have I been a teacher? Too long. See? <laughs> 25 something years. I've been teaching Sunday school classes. You know the biggest battle I have, more than any battle that I can pop, is the diminishing, okay, of my own heart towards the activity that God has called me to. I want to quit when He doesn't want me to quit. Okay? I mean, 25 years of teach. I mean, studying every single week and preparing every single week. Okay? Now, that's been an enormous amount of things that God has given in that, but you still get tired. And you lose what God has asked you to be a part of. Then it becomes rote. Okay? Then it becomes apathy. And essentially, that's the problem. Everybody in this room is being called to these things, and most of us could tell exactly what God has called us to in terms of people's lives that we know that we're still invested in, particularly our family. I mean, how tired are you in dealing with your family? Well, you're tired. Okay? And you know how many times you've gone back and go, I quit. I mean, I'm, I'm just not going to think about this anymore. You know, I'm just not going to deal with it anymore. Okay. The next time the phone calls up, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> you know, 
You know, how, how, how much of that is inside of us as we progress? Okay. And see, that's what Paul is saying. You, you have lost this vision of the interest of others. And you become tired and centered within yourself again. And that's what he's talking about. It's as simple as that. Okay. You are no longer a light. The light is kind of being pulled back. Okay. The light is diminishing. And it should not diminish. It should be bright as a star as you finish out. Okay? Now, one of the things that you can go back to is like Psalm 51. I think it's Psalm 51. <laughs> it's Psalm 50 or 51 where David prays about Bathsheba. It's 51, isn't it? Huh? 51. Okay. In that song, or that cry of David about his own sin nature, in other words, you're going, yeah, I am that way, but I like Jane. Okay. One of the things that you find in that particular deal is for David, his prayer is to search me and to try me and to cleanse me. And if there's anything wrong here, God, help me move beyond it. I was thinking about this lesson, and, and uh, my daughter is coming here, and we just spent... Ten days with my daughter and all with a baby who was very, very sick. And now she's coming up with a husband who's going to have an operation. She's going to be here for two weeks. And she's right in the middle of a huge process that's going on with Bev and I in terms of getting ready for a health fair. Okay. And I go inside my mind. I don't know if I want to do this. Okay. And I, I, I have a hard time begrudging this. Okay. And so what I do, you know, I, the minute it comes out of my mouth, I know it's wrong. You know, the minute it's there, I know it's wrong. But do I say, you know, I say it's wrong, but I still have the feeling. So the thing that basically I've learned, of course, is from the Word, cleanse me. Make sure that this is not, this that is wrong, Father, take away from me. Lead me to the rock that is higher than myself. The one thing that we have that is so powerful in our lives is what the Old Testament saints did not have. It is Jeremiah 31. It is the New Covenant. It is John 14. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And I will be in you. And I will give you a power at a second uh, you know, Romans chapter 12, 1, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It is a power to change your life. You don't have to pull yourself up on your own bootstraps and try to change this. You essentially confess it before the Lord. You ask the Lord to take this dirty, rotten attitude and change it and forgive you. So it begins to move away from yourself and back to what it is that God asks you to be a part of as you end, and as you move. So it's very important to see that in terms of what's going on, uh, because those are the feelings that we have in relationship to these things. Okay? Uh, let's look at some of the things that you can find in this man, or these two men, that, that Paul celebrates, okay, in relationship to having this interest towards other people. There, some of them are very blazoned 
Others are not so blazing. Okay, in verse 19, basically Paul says that in the Lord he's planning to send Timothy to them shortly and encourage them what I have learned of your condition. What you have is Paul, Timothy, and Ephroditus. Okay, these are the three men. One of the things that you find in genuine concern, which happens to be the next sentence, uh, the next verse, for I have no one else who is of kindred spirit who would genuinely be concerned for your welfare, is that there, when you look at this, you can have a genuine concern about somebody and not do anything. Okay? What you find is a genuine concern must be translated into action. Okay? Genuine concern must be translated into action. If you're disabled and cannot move and cannot pick up a phone to be a part of a person's life, the genuine concern can still be translated into prayer. Okay? Even people who are on their bed, okay, who have been there for a year, if you find them who have really been given by the Lord, a lot of these people, if you've talked to some of these, you will realize that God, they believe God has placed them in that particular position in terms of a prayer life as they end their life. Okay? They can't do anything except pray. Okay? Now that is that is a taking the genuine concern and putting into putting it into something. For instance, if you take this list of all these people that are a part of your life right this minute, that God has given to you over the years, you more than likely are not in contact with three fourths of them. Okay? But I, le- I want you to, I want to challenge you to think about what Paul himself did and others did. They prayed for these people. They became the prayerless. In other words, couldn't contact them, couldn't write letters to them, couldn't be with them. That's exactly what Paul says here. I'm not going to be able to be with you. But I have a genuine concern, so I'm sending Timothy to you. See? But in terms of Paul's life, there was an enormous amount of prayer that he covered all these people with on a consistent basis. I pray for you always. Constant, constant thing that's in the letters of Paul. I don't even know who you are, but I pray for you always. In other words, there are a lot of churches that he did not run into, but he knew of their ministry and what was going on. He says, I pray for you always. How big's your prayer list? Your prayer list should include those people who have been a part of your past, the ministry that God has brought into your life, a genuine concern that translates into a service, into an action towards the lives that God has brought to you. You are no longer actively maybe touching them, but that does not mean that you're not actively touching them through prayer. A genuine concern does not sit. It moves. Okay? It sends out to find out or be involved in the welfare of that other person's life. 
And what you find Paul doing is another part of it that's a little bit more active. He, he is constantly trying to find out what he can pray for them about. Okay, that's what he's saying here. I want to learn of your condition. I want to learn of your condition. I want to make sure that your welfare is okay. And so essentially that is what you're involved in. And, you know, that, that, that has to do with people talking to people and asking people and trying to find things out and, and praying for them and, and talking to them and, and whatever that might be, getting a letter, I don't know what it is, but whatever it may be that would cause you to reach out to try to find about their welfare and their condition so that you can pray for them or be a part of them actively. And very often when you find that out, by the way, you'll find that there's things that you can actively do in this person's life to help. Okay? A lot of times it has to do with money. A lot of times it has to do with people just going over and doing something to help somebody okay, in relationship to what's going on. Now, every single one of us in this room do not do this very well. But we can ask the Lord to cause us to be more conscious of it, to cause our own hearts to change towards it, so that we finish well, so that we'll be stars that have not faded, that we will be men and women of high regard by the time life is over, okay, or as our life progresses and goes on. It's, I'm not telling you that I'm I'm not standing up here going you you I'm you know I'm I don't do this very well, okay, in relationship to what's going on. But whenever you get something from God, you should move on it in terms of that particular person's life who's particularly close to you and, and on your prayer list in relationship to what's going on. Okay? You might look at your prayer list and make sure that it is not shrinking. <laughs> you know, in terms... A lot of times, I, I in my own mind, I go, God, this, this is list is getting too big. You know, what am I going to do? And, and But if you look at it in terms of your day, you know, it's all of uh, maybe an hour at the most. Maybe an hour. Okay. I, I would think that your life, as it goes on, should be stretching to two to three hours a day in prayer. And I'm not talking about going off in the corner and praying. For, I don't pray in a corner. I pray on my way to work which is not really good for people in the traffic, but God is also, yeah, right. That's better than your cell phone. I'm not sure, but okay. I had a wreck praying one time, and really I was very ticked off at God about that. <laughs> I assume you do not uh, close your eyes while you're No, praying. I do not. <laughs> I do not. But God has really instituted that in my life because I'm not a real good prayer. What I mean is, is I'm, I, you know, it's it's not my natural bent to pray. I mean, some people just really have natural bents that way. I I do not. Okay, and what God has given me is a ministry in people's lives, and I had to have time to do it. Well, I drive an hour a day. Okay, I know two hours a day, two hours a day to work back and forth, and that has become over twenty something years a discipline to pray. And so I've, I've found God has arranged that. He says, here, I'll give you this list. And I go, okay, good. Well, what am I supposed to do with all these people? It just keeps growing and growing and growing. 
And he says, well, here, you've got two hours to drive. You know, I go, yeah, but one of those hours I'd like to rest. You know, turn on the radio. And he says, no. Nah. And then that's what the list has become. I mean, first it took all the morning out, and now it's starting to encroach upon the afternoon. And so essentially, those are the kinds of things that are available to a man. You know, if God, he has given them to you, you should be a part of them. There should be an action that has to do with your genuine concern for the welfare and the condition of another person. That's exactly what verse four, 3 and 4 are talking about. You're a bondservant in terms of God's will for these people's lives. Okay? Unfortunately, we get tired of this because our energy diminishes. And, we, and particularly in the family arena, we get tired of it because it's, it seems to be so over and over and over and over and over again. Okay? In terms of what's going on. Well, we didn't get very far through these, but let me just mention these to you because they're not, they're not hard to see. Okay. Uh, uh, one of them is is that he has a, a, a verse 22 that there is a proven worth to this particular man, Timothy. He is a he is known as a person who has served. He is a known as a person who has served. Okay. He is a person who has furthered the gospel. He has held the light out. And he's done it like a child. Okay. The other man, uh, Ephroditus, in verse 25, there's a list there. And you can take each one of these ones as a list as, as what it means in relationship to another person's life. He's a brother. He's a fellow worker. He's a fellow soldier. He is a messenger. And he is a minister. Every single one of those have to do with working with another person's life and as to what that means. He has been willing to basically fight for these people's lives. He has a certain longing, the same thing as the word concern, and he becomes distressed over their distress. He becomes distressed over their distress. It's what we would call empathy. And he longs to complete what God has started. He longs to complete what God has started. In fact, he has worked so much in this particular endeavor that his physical health has failed. His physical health has actually failed. In fact, he almost died. Okay. So these are characteristics of men who have sold themselves out to the interests of others and have become what Christ has asked them to do. Okay, we will be moving into chapter 3. You probably wouldn't ever have dreamed it, but I figured we'd try to move a little faster here and get into chapter 3.